Hello and welcome to a second special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. I'm Tristan Carcino. And we had to assemble the Avengers to talk about the most momentous sports event in the history of the Pelton Cast, Russell Wilson being traded. Our, our spirits have been buoyed to some extent by seeing everyone react to the first emergency pod on Twitter. And now it's time to bring in his third Belton brothers. Please welcome back from the Athletic Seattle contributor, Ben Baldwin. Hello, thanks for having me. And you guys already sound much more upbeat than the last recorded podcast. <laughs> as well as the person who single-handedly ruined the marriage between the Seahawks and Russell Wilson with the Let Russ Cook movement, Zach Whitman. Hey, glad to be on. It's, uh, it's exciting to think that I peaked at the same time the Seattle Seahawks did. So, <laughs> uh, The Seahawks peaked much earlier, I think. We, all, we also, it's so oh, sorry, I would think about 2013. Is that not, is that not what we're talking about? <laughs> no, you, about peaked, you peaked last year with Let Russ Cook. <laughs> it's so sad. Mina, she's like Spider-Man in the Avengers. We have to share rights with ESPN for her. So she wasn't able to be here today with us. But excited to have you back, Ben and Zach. I, I obviously we're very way more upbeat than we were earlier. Get, oh yeah, Kevin, just just the intro. It sounded like funeral funeral vibes, which in a, in a sense is like it's kind of fair given the moment. But I I appreciated that you guys did such a good job of um, encapsulating how the the Seahawks fan might feel at that moment. It, it was very uh, like season five of Breaking Bad cold open. I would say in terms of general vibe, <laughs> which I which I did appreciate. I don't know if you um, noticed, it went no music on that one. Uh, we, I did. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. No music. Yeah. First ever? Uh, I don't know. It's been something I've forgotten. <laughs> You're like, Russell Wilson will not be in the town all day. Uh, the, uh, my favorite thing was when Kevin first asked us to do a second emergency pod. He said doing it a little bit later will give us more time to digest the trade as if all of a sudden it would sound like a good trade three hours later. <laughs> I did not mean that. <laughs> we were going to pivot to positivity that quickly. I mean, anyway. we are in a much more cheerful mood, clearly. I ate the little Woody's burger of the week. It helped. <sighs> I started drinking at four o'clock. <laughs> I mean, Ben, Zach, you want to give us your immediate reactions to this? Let's start with Ben. Yeah, so my, the, there, there is, of course, the obligatory look at the Adam Schefter tweet 10 times, make sure the blue check mark was there, make sure like it was actually real. And then after that, I, it, like, it wasn't that surprising. And I think kind of since um, that appearance a year ago when uh, Michael Sean Dugard came on your pod and like he sounded very down on the relationship between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. He thought that it was much more likely than not that Russell Wilson would not be a Seahawk in 2022. And I, I think it was easy to forget about that uh, during the season, especially because like Russell Wilson got hurt and the way it ended on sort of a high note where I, I think we could kind of put all that stuff behind us, but nothing fundamentally changed um, in, in terms of what their reported disagreements were about. So like, yes, it's, um, it's the end of an era and marks something very different about what to ex expect about the Seahawks going forward. But I wasn't like surprised or felt like a gut punch or something when to some extent I felt like this was not that surprising and maybe sort of coming. 
yeah, I think um, I'm surprised, I think a little bit by actually how, how unsurprised I am in a weird way. It, it, I saw the tweet and it's surprising um, just initially, but it feels like this has kind of been a long time coming. Um, I don't know anything. I'm just just uh, just sitting here. But my guess is that the fact that Pete Carroll signed up for many more seasons at a very large amount of, of money per season that he's going to be paid and that he and Russell appeared to have a fairly irreconcilable relationship meant they had to pick between the two. And it has seemed for a long time that they would pick Pete out of that, which, um, I mean, from my perspective, seems relatively short-sighted. I, I do wonder... Um, I do wonder how this would have played out um, if Pete kind of weren't the de facto head of the franchise post Paul Allen in, in a lot of ways. And that's not to say that Jody Allen's not involved. I don't want to imply that, but uh, as a Blazers fan, I know Paul was relatively um, involved in many cases in coaching decisions and stuff with the Blazers. And it is interesting to think that things might be different today, um, but the way it is, the Pete, Pete is the franchise, I think in a lot of ways and franchise chose Pete over us. I mean, I kind of think he already was. I don't think Paul Allen was as involved with the Seahawks as he was, or as hands-on certainly with the Seahawks as he was with the Blazers. And, you know, it was it was Todd Lywicki who was president who brought in Pete Carroll. And I think after he left, that's maybe when that, that shift happened. And then also, you know, the Seahawks were fabulously successful the first few years. So I think to all the people that are surprised that the team would choose, you know, the management over a star player, I agree that's a short-sighted decision, but I don't think it's surprising. Pete Carroll is the one who's in there talking to ownership on a regular basis and John Schneider. Russell Wilson isn't doing that. They don't have that kind of relationship. So of course you're going to lean with, you know, the, the people that you think brought you the greatest success that you've ever had, even if it was really Russell Wilson who did that. Did Todd Lewicki leave to eventually join the Kraken? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean he, didn't, he didn't know the Kraken were going to exist when he left. It was a long time ago, but yeah. But still, the Kraken somehow actually caused this, is what you're telling me, directly. That is what I'm directly. telling you. Yes. Four-dimensional chess. Wow. <laughs> you know, to the people who didn't think we had enough Kraken curse talk on the previous podcast. This is literal now. This is like not like a, a, a an intangible thing made up a timeline. This is the Kraken actually hired the person that you just said basically created a power void within the Seahawks this and the left it to Pete yeah, Carroll. This is, this is now canon. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. I mean, Pete was going to be really powerful. Todd Lewicki is the one who helped make him so powerful is I guess what I would say. That was actually one of the things I wanted to hit on was, do we think that if the Seahawks had cleaned house with Schneider and, and Carroll after the season, do we think that this trade would still happen? I, I know that we can't actually know the answer to this, but do we, do we think it actually was a Pete or Russ thing or Russ was going to be wanting to try something else regardless? I mean, what's interesting is the reporting suggests that Russ did not ask for a trade specifically at this point. But I think there was one note, I forget who had it, that, you know, this, uh, that might have been Elbert Breer, that this went back to last year and them being unhappy that Wilson aired his frustrations in public. And we do know what rule number one for Pete Carroll is protect the team. Russell yep. Wilson didn't protect the team from that standpoint. The question is, has Pete Carroll not been protecting the team for like five years yet? <laughs> so that my hypothetical number two is, do we think Russell Wilson would still be a Seahawk if they hadn't done the Jamal Adams trade? Speaking of not protecting the team, and, and again, this is unknowable, but it, it feels like the beginning of a chain of 
very bad things that has left the roster in, in the shape that it's in now. Do we think it started there? It didn't start there, but I think that was their push all our chips in moment. And the Rams pushed all their chips in and they won the Super Bowl. The Seahawks pushed all their chips in and they lost in the first round of the playoffs and then missed the playoffs. So yeah, I, I think to the Rams who yeah. then the next year put all their chips in. Correct. They, they, they lost to the Rams who were pre-pushed the chips in Rams. You can just say I mean, Jared Goff Rams. <laughs> to me, it honestly, it feels like the whole thing. Like this is, I mean, we've been following this team very closely for a very long time. I think this has seeds way back with Bradley Sowell being an offensive lineman starting on day one several years ago and him getting and Russ, by the way, getting absolutely pounded for many seasons. Like, right. It starts way back there. It's a progressive thing. I think the Dallas loss in the wild card is a big part of that where he was absolutely at his peak. That's probably peak Russell Wilson. If we look back on it, that's one of the games where he was at his absolute best. I think Um, the fourth down pass to Lockett that I'll never forget the way he was in that game was unreal. Um, That was the run, run, run pass game, right? Because you can pass on fourth down and score. Um, I guess I think it germinates from a long time ago, and it's not about a specific Adams move. To me, it honestly felt like Pete was frustrated because Russell was frustrated. And I'm not sure it was over for Russell. It's hard to know and read into palace intrigue like that. But you did get the feeling that, that Pete was being a lot more vocal in some ways, like with what he wasn't saying about it over the last few years. And yeah, I guess, like I said, it just felt almost inevitable at some point that they would break up. I mean, yeah, I described this as a marriage when I was talking about the let Russ Cook thing. And I think it's like that where, you know, it's not one single thing, but these grievances that accumulate over the years. But I do think the Adams trade was sort of a point of no return because there wasn't a way for them to get dramatically better, you know, because of the lost traffic. Like if they had been sitting here with this exact same team, you know, Wilson had gotten injured last year and they missed the playoffs and you had the number 10 pick. Like, I think it's easier to feel optimistic about we can turn this thing around. And I think that lack of optimism was a factor here as well. The, the, the real answer is George Kittle pick. So I admit, like, <laughs> if we're really going to go back, I think we all know where this comes from. <laughs> and, and, and even now they, they'd have an extra first round pick on their roster from last year and, and the third round pick too. And like, it's, it's hard to notice these when you're like, watching games or looking at their roster, the absence of a player, but that, that player might be a really good player on a, on a rookie contract. So I, I do want to note to come back to something Ben said about, you know, Mike Sean kind of predicting this on the Pelton cast last year. It is funny that among the people who apparently forgot this year was Mike Sean, who said there was an 89% chance he thought that <laughs> Russell would be back when we had him on this year. Uh, ben ended up closest to the pin on that projection. You said 70%. I said 75%. And Tristan, oh God, who was shocked by this trend, said 99%. Oh, I mean, I was still stunned by the trade today. Up until the moment we saw the tweet, I did not expect this trade to happen. I mean, I was stunned it was, by the There was the no writing on the wall yeah. before Haney. Like, it was a shocking trade that happened. I was expecting it to be, you know, more like a basketball trade where you've got these rumors over a period of time and then you know, slowly we are at the one yard line and then people make Super Bowl 49 jokes. And then we finally have a deal. Instead, this was something that they kept completely quiet, I guess, to their one credit, to the slight credit of the Seahawks front office. Is that a credit though? Extremely quiet. How is keeping something quiet to your credit? Do you think that they would have gotten a worse return if it was public? No fucking way. 
No, both but... Ben Simmons and James Harden were very public about their feelings and ended up being traded for each other. Anthony Davis was very public about his feelings about New Orleans and got a massive haul of draft picks. Hell of a lot more draft picks than the Seahawks got back in this trade. It's just wrong. Keeping something private only benefits the people in charge. That's it. I think it it, it also benefits the team if they ended up not making the deal for whatever reason. Like, let's say Aaron Rodgers decides he wants to go to the Broncos and Russell Wilson doesn't go to the Broncos and ends up coming back for 2022, it's a lot easier for the team to sell everybody on keeping the band back together if there are all these reports about how they tried really hard hard to get him to the Broncos. Right. It seems like they would have traded Russell Wilson either way, though. Like the Broncos. Certainly possible. I I actually, the timing of it being the Broncos, I think has to do with Aaron Rodgers. But thinking more about it, there were trade partners out there for Russell Wilson. It wasn't like it was the Broncos or nothing. Yeah, there was the the commanders whose name I almost (laughs) didn't remember. There's the report that they were offering, I think it was three first round picks, right? And the Seahawks didn't do it because they're, they're scared of, a competition within the conference like they're going to be contenders in the near future which is wild because the commander <laughs> russ branding was right there and the fact that they didn't go for that is can i ask a question though if the seahawks let's 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 untangle this conspiracy if the seahawks had followed ben's advice and flown into denver early in 2018 and russ <laughs> hadn't thrown the pick six and they hadn't changed the offense because of the denver and chicago games would russell wilson then be unhappy because of running in the wild card game against dallas and would be talking about a trade to dallas and a trade to denver today zach's got his background <laughs> blurred out I assume behind him is the Charlie <laughs> Kelly style, you know, uh, all of the pins, yeah, yeah. <laughs> labeling everything together, starting with not right. flying to Denver right. in right. 2018. Right. I mean, there. you can trace this back to so many different moments along the way, right? Because uh, Super Bowl 49. Russ, I mean, yeah. that being one of the biggest ones, where it was like that that moment. Again, say what you will, whatever happened, like the pass being intercepted definitely led to a divide among the team and it meant that many of the defensive leaders ended up leaving the team because when Pete Carroll was looking at it and was like I can choose between Russ or I can choose the entire defense aside from Bobby Wagner I'm going to choose Russell Wilson obviously that was and, a and much sure that was a much clearer choice the linebackers uh, just not the secondary that, that was a much clearer choice at the time but it's just like Russ has been aggrieved as the quarterback of the Seahawks we talked about this earlier repeatedly Right. It is a team that has gone pretty far out of their way to not give him help. And the places where he has found help on the offensive side of the ball has been through players that they sort of I, I, they drafted these players. But it was second round draft picks and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. He hasn't had a tight end basically his entire career. They tried with Jimmy Graham, but it's been it's been a long time since they made that move. That was also an offense for offense move. And there was a draft pick involved in it. In the same way, it's kind of funny that we pinpoint the Jamal Adams trade, and I agree that that is the worst of the push-the-chips-in trades that the Seahawks have made, partially because with Percy Harvin, they ended up, even though it was a train wreck of a trade on its own, they happened to win the Super Bowl. But, like, you could go back and take Percy Harvin off that team, and then you have another talented player. All along the way, basically from the moment that they drafted Russell Wilson, the Seahawks have made the wrong decision in every single situation. Zach, you're shaking your head. I don't know if that's a, you're disagreeing with me. I mean, they signed Bennett and Avril. Just reliving, just reliving each year. It's fine. <laughs> they, they have not done right by Russell Wilson. Basically, he won the Super Bowl. And from that moment forward, they were like, fuck you, Russell Wilson. Right? They, they were like, we're not going to give you the support that you need. We're going to draft a running back in the first round. Not an offensive lineman, not a receiver. We're going to draft a running back in the first round. They don't know what they're doing. 
Wow, Tristan turned on Rashad Penny. Returned on Rashad Penny. <laughs> <laughs> I only think Rashad Penny is a generational talent in the confines of him playing with Russell Wilson. <laughs> I mean, like, like Okun leaving in 2016, right? When he was coming off what at that point was the best play of his career is such an indicative thing where the Seahawks th- consistently throughout his his run spent a lot on defense, especially for those many of those first years. And I think as an intentional rule, we're trying to save money on the offense and specifically the offensive line by with Tom Cable and taking players who are kind of, you know, high ceiling, low ability um, and trying to make it work. And I, I can understand kind of going through those two eras of Russell, Russell Wilson's career, like the getting beaten up era and then the barely passing era um, and then being thrown under the bus at when he, you know, did pass more this, the last few years. I, I think I can understand frustration there. That's that's tough. Pete Carroll would have had to learn what crypto was to resign Russell Okun, so that definitely wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think there there definitely was a deliberate underinvestment in the offensive line, and at least in like schools of um, Seahawks Twitter fandom thought, there was an idea that Russell Wilson's going to invite pressure no matter what, and one of his skills is evading pass rushers. So. Maybe this is a way that the Seahawks can skimp on offensive line and have a strong roster elsewhere. And I, I think in hindsight, that was probably not a good idea and certainly didn't pay off. And those those offensive lines in, I think it was 2016 and 2017 were just really, really bad. And like their their left tackle plans going into those seasons were who was it? Bradley Sell one year and uh, oh, Luke, wait, no, Luke, Luke Jokel. Jokel. <laughs> was a and the Jamarcus, the Jamarcus Webb era at oh, right tackle oh, was, was not like a, a quarter long. Yeah. Riso Diombo, I think, was a, a week one starter at left tackle in 2017. Like, <laughs> who got injured in preseason? Who was that? George Fant. Uh, that was George Fant. That's the out. best offensive yeah. lineman in the whole crew. So it's not. Our whole season collapsed because George Fant got injured in the preseason. That's what we're talking yeah, so I, from Wilson's standpoint, I, I certainly understand the frustration. And if like if he thinks he's a top player and they haven't really put in the environment where he can succeed as he compares himself to like what the Chiefs have put around Mahomes or what Tom Brady had in Tampa Bay or Aaron Rodgers has, like he he's probably looking at that and saying like why why can't I have a real offensive line? Like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are great, but it's um, it, it's still a, a difficult situation for him. And I I think at least comparing Denver to Seattle, it's a low bar to be better than the Seahawks, what the Seahawks have had on offensive line, but I think it'll definitely be an improvement. All right. So one of the responses we got to the uh, original emergency pod was from third Pelton brothers, Zach Jabal, who mentioned that he didn't find this because of his age and experiences is emotionally scarring is the King Griffey Jr. trade and the Gary Payton trade. So Zach has no input here as non-Seattle sports fan, but the rest of us can discuss our memories of <laughs> those no two. Input. We could talk about Clyde Drexler, but I think you were a little too young when he got traded. Uh, I mean, I think the Griffey one is different because there was like no villain there. Griffey, it was kind of like a free agent decision essentially. And there wasn't anything the Mariners did wrong to lose Griffey. He wanted to go closer to his family and Seattle is an extremely long ways from Orlando. So I, you just had to be mad at geography there, which wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily stop people. But I, I wasn't as when we also, we got a very exciting player in return in Mike Cameron, like that wasn't com- commensurate return for Griffey at that point of his career before he had injuries, but it was still like 
Cameron was an exciting player who was a big, and then Ichiro came the next year. So I feel like that was easier kind of to rationalize. And then especially the GP trade, because you were trading him for someone who was almost equally good and several years younger. Like th- that would be the equivalent of the Seahawks trading for us for like Dak, I guess. I don't know if you have a better comp, Ben. No, I, I think the for some reason, the, the one that stands out to me from that time period was the Sean Kemp trade, which was like yeah. shocking to <laughs> shocking to me at the time. And like it in hindsight, it's, it's not like either one of those players had great careers after that. So maybe it wasn't as big of a deal as we thought, but that was like, that was the momentous one for me in my childhood. <laughs> Agreed. Like it was so soon after he had been the best player on the court in the 96 finals and he was still super young. Obviously we didn't know, you know, how his career was going to pan out. The Sonics knew some things that we didn't in that <laughs> situation, but that was, yeah, that one was much more emotionally scarring to me than either of those two trades. I'd say. I barely remember the Kemp trade. I think maybe it was too long ago. And I was too young to I, really remember it. I can still remember where I was when we found out about it. We were watching Friends in the living room. It was a Thursday night, and it came on in a King of Five update during one of the commercial breaks. It it felt like, like, I like Gary Payton more than I liked Ray Allen. But continuing to go to basketball games and win games is also a very fun thing to do. You know that you will fall in love with future players. Like... You, we'll always love Russell Wilson, but if the Seahawks draft Malik Willis or whatever, another quarterback, and they end up being a phenomenal young quarterback, we're going to fucking love that player, right? Like, but I think that's the difference is at the time with Vin Baker, we felt like Vin Baker was like a replacement to a certain extent, and we'll have a personal relationship with Vin Baker eventually, for better or worse. None of these have worked out exactly, although I still really like Ray Allen. And same with Ray Allen, where it's like, you know that things are going to continue as they were. For this, it's a different experience because it's like quarterback in football is basically all that matters and you're taking away the quarterback. Yeah, in a way, this almost feels more like an NBA thing where they put in the head coach over the star player, right, in terms of importance to a to a team. The quarterback is so hard to evaluate. It's, it's in a way, I still can't believe they did it. It's, it's not surprising, but it's like, man, they still made a decision that not many teams would make. Not many teams would pick the 70-year-old head coach over the quarterback. <laughs> I mean, as we've kept saying, like, there's basically no precedent for it in NFL history. The closest things we came up with are, you know, Tom Brady at age 41, 42, when he left New England. As a free agent. Also. Yeah. And then the Colts trading Peyton Manning when they had Andrew Luck. Stafford is, is not that far off. It's far off. I don't remind me of the Super Bowl that Lions won with Matthew Stafford. <laughs> or the playoff game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we also wanted to kind of look back. We we did a little of this on the original pod, but go through and talk about some of our favorite Russell Wilson performances. So we've come up, each of us, with the top five list. It'll be interesting to see how they overlap. Uh, who wants to go first, Ben? Sure. Let me let me do. Uh, I, I I did way too much for this. I did three honorable mentions. <laughs> nice. Just because who knows when the last the, the next chance we'll have to talk about Russell Wilson will be. So one of them. It's not really like meaningful or momentous, but just like one of the great games. This was against Detroit in 2018, where he threw 17 passes and 14 of them were caught and it went for 248 yards, which is about 15 yards per attempt. And uh, the Seahawks won by a lot. And I'm pretty sure this is this might be the first game that led to Cable Thanos starting to make videos. Um, So that is honorable mention number one. Um, Honorable mention number two is um, that. 2017 game against uh, Houston. 
which led to a very memorable um, emergency Pelton cast afterwards. Um, that that game-winning touchdown pass to Jimmy Graham. Uh, a, a lot of good memories from that one. And then the last honorable mention is um, what could be a bingo square by now, uh, which is the twenty the week one of this season against the Colts, where Kevin and I saw each other at halftime and were beaming about the new look Seahawks offense and how everything was going to be great now that Shane Waldron and D. Eskridge were going to help turn around the Seahawks. And um, it, it, it was a good memory. So that's the honorable mentions. I actually told that story last week and it's slow and because I was talking to uh, the, <laughs> the person who replaced me actually at the Pacers. And I was like, yeah, I was in Indianapolis in, in September. I was there for five hours, but it was great. It was wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was a good time. Um, okay, so are, are we all counting down from five to one or are we saying our number five and then going around or what's what's the format for this? I don't have them ranked. So I think you, let's just each okay. go through them and then we can talk about which ones, we can jump in if we have the same one, which- Okay, yeah. so one, which I'd be pretty surprised if anyone else has <laughs> is uh, 2014 Sunday Night Football at Arizona. Um, this, this was- more remembered probably for Beastquake 2, but also um, Russell Wilson had one of his best games. He had a couple um, bombs to Luke Wilson, of all people, and then had a, had a rushing touchdown where he made a couple Cardinals look very silly. And I put this on here because it was a very important game, a, a big stage with Sunday Night Football, and they, they needed to win this to get um, the, the number, one, number one seed, which they eventually did, and went to the Super Bowl before it was canceled. Um, and, and that's why this game is on here as number five. I'm guessing no one else had this one. Was this the game where he hit Doug on the sideline? Was that Doug who made the catch, like leaped up, made the catch, then avoided the tackle and ran for the touchdown? No, that was in, I think 2017 when a lot of the players got injured. That was, but that was also in Arizona. (laughs) There's a lot of, yeah, a lot of Arizona memories. This was one of the few good at Arizona memories. <laughs> Wilson, 20 of 31 for 331 yards and six carries for 88 yards in that wow. one. That, that, mo- that rushing touchdown is one of the iconic single moments that he had in Seattle. Uh, for some of these, there it's a combination of like the game itself and a moment. And uh, this, this will make sense after my next one, which was week one, 2020 against Atlanta, which was kind of the, the birth of the let Russ cook moment. And um, that the game itself was great where Seattle's offense looked great. Um, I, I think I was on a, a post game pod here talking about how happy we were about how things were going to start the season, uh, which is now unfortunately a theme here <laughs> where this hasn't <laughs> carried through for the whole season. Um, All negativity but... <laughs> after week one, the Broncos game was great. Yeah. Uh, so that's number four. Um, that was, another... that, one was, that one was also on my list. Okay. Not, yeah, not surprised. I'm guessing the rest will, most of the rest will be on everyone's list. Uh, number three, so the the game I have that is emblematic of this is the um, the playoff divisional loss in Atlanta, uh, which the, re- the result was bad, but uh, between that and the Seahawks' overall performance down the second half of the season where they scored 50 points in three straight games and really arrived as one of the top teams, if not the top team in the NFL, and then culminating with, a very bitter loss, but one that left people hopeful for next season. And as it turned out for good reason, um, that's number three. Uh, number two, um, I picked one game out of this stretch, which was the Steelers game in 2015, which I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing some other people might have picked. Uh, but the, the whole uh, stretch down the stretch of 2015, 
um, where Wilson and the offense were extremely good, um, won a lot of games, put up great stats, and then um, unfortunately came up short in the playoffs. And then uh, the top moment that I picked is uh, the fourth down touchdown in the 2013 NFC Championship game to Jermaine Curse that um, eventually helped beat the 49ers and, and put the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. The Stephen Houshkin non-kick. Exactly. That play. Zach? I think I have some overlap with Ben. Um, the 2012 Atlantic. I mean, just if, if I think about sports in terms of like what brings me individual moments of joy that I remember and kind of bring on, obviously titles are like, we won a Super Bowl, which is like, I, I grew up in Portland. I root for uh, the Blazers, the Mariners, and the Seahawks. Uh, I don't have a lot of those in, in my lifetime, and it's pretty special. Um, but the joy I felt from like 2012 when we – it felt like it was kind of our turn, and in, in Atlanta specifically, that was just such an amazing moment to be back. Um, the other moment from that season that I just – I don't think I'll ever be able to forget was 2012 uh, San Francisco when it was a home game. Um, Sherm returned the TD, uh, the, the field goal for the TD, and it wasn't a special Wilson game by any means, but it was kind of an arrival, it felt like, for that team, for that era, and for the Seahawks, and him being part of that, I guess, is very special. I mean, Ben mentioned the stage of Sunday Night Football, and it was like, okay, great, you beat Arizona, and you beat the Bills in Toronto, but like, what what happens when you play a good team, and then played the team that went to the Super Bowl that year, and just demolished them? And it was special. I mean, I, I will never forget the way that game made me feel. It was, that was just... It was everything. Um, and it's, it's one of those things like that season in specifically, right? 2013 is almost the most boring Russell Wilson season. 2012, the, the come up is always so exciting. There's so much momentum <laughs> and excitement for that, that it, it's hard to kind of, those moments are so special and so just earmarked that it was hard for me not to pick like every single 2012 game, Chicago and everything else. Other kind of, the other games on my list are kind of just moments throughout time that were very special to me. Um, like, I mean, obviously the 20, I'm not going to bring up, I guess, the touchdown to curse when he on fourth down, which is obviously a huge moment, but it's the 2015 Pittsburgh game. I had the 2017 Houston comeback or in 2015, the Minnesota and Baltimore games when he was just at another level of performance that I'm not sure. I mean, he had the, you know, stretch too, but those probably are the two times that it was like, he just felt like he could throw anything up and it came down. And then the last one, really the one that felt special to me still, and it's, it is this the 2019 Rams game, the Thursday night football, yes, the TD, the TD in the corner um, to lock it. That was just absolutely like, shocking. Like that game still, there's something electric about that one because I, I don't know. It just felt like he was on another level. And there, that was the thing, about, the thing about Russ and the Seahawks is those night games. So often you think about how many of the games we're talking about are from the night games. Um, just a huge portion of them because for whatever reason that team turned up in so many cases and less maybe toward the end of his tenure in Seattle. Um, but there are just so many special moments from those late games. And I think honestly, almost like the overriding feeling I have with him leaving is there were so many special Sunday nights that were just absolutely <laughs> thrilling, exciting times. And um, yeah, we still get to keep those, you know, just because he's gone and the air is over doesn't mean we don't have kind of the great memories of what happened. And as corny as awful as that sounds, I mean, I will, I will, I will take 10 years of success as a Seattle sports fan. The real Russell Wilson memory is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> it really is. It really is. We were like, we still get to keep those. I mean, the team's not going to be playing on Sunday night anymore. We'll play on Sunday still though. One, 105 PM. 
We'll still have those. <laughs> well, maybe one twenty-five. Excited to get the early London, the early London game or something. We'll, we'll place <laughs> yes. the Jags. <laughs> we'll play on Sunday Sunday night, British time. <laughs> um, it, it's Sunday night somewhere. Um, yeah, the, that Rams game, that Thursday night against the Rams in that was nineteen. Yeah. Um, that was such an amazing game. Like that that toss to Lockett being like one of the best throws that he's ever made. Um, I mean, it was there was an entire commercial about that throw and how improbable the, it was. The NGS, yeah. yeah, the bomb to curse to win the second NFC Championship game, though. Like scoring that touchdown, throwing that pass. I mean, honestly, like the best memory is not even a specific one. It is just any time Russell Wilson throws the ball, and then the ball is gone from the screen. <laughs> the camera panning, <laughs> and then the camera pans down, and then there's a receiver there open. Like, come on nobody else does that it's like him and Mahomes and maybe Herbert or something like it that just does not happen that often where he could throw it and then you're just like I know that there's going like surprised if there's not somebody open to catch the pass which is a pretty unique experience and when he throws it it's just the perfect throw (sighs) so did you come up with this idea and not do a list no, I, well, I didn't do an official list. No, I've been oh, working. Gosh. I've been working nonstop. <laughs> uh, but the Bears game in particular, uh, 2012 in his rookie year, the Bears game where it was just like, okay, it's on, right? The touchdown to not Braylon Edwards. It was uh, Sydney <laughs> Rice. Yes, I kept wanting to say Sydney Jones, but it was it was Sydney Rice. <laughs> knocked out Sydney Rice. That was an awful. Where he got blocked yeah. after that, yeah. and oh. then just the unveiling of the read option. Yeah. It's kind of hilarious to think that that a peak your offense would be like the new shit in football, <laughs> especially by modern standards. But like right, right there un- with a Shanahan offense, when they <laughs> unveiled the read option in that game, it was just like, well, this is unstoppable. Nobody will ever stop Russell Wilson again, uh, which was a pretty incredible experience. The first preseason, though, like in general, when we really learned like this is Russell Wilson. You mentioned that earlier. I think there was a bomb to Terrell Owens. In the first preseason, which is how far back we're going. <laughs> and Tio dropped the pass, but Russ put it perfectly in Tio's hands. Tio dropped it. And I was just like, well, that guy is like, look, we shouldn't keep Drell Owens on the team. But that dude who threw that pass, oh my God. Uh, that one was pretty incredible. And through that time period where we sort of just like learned, okay, this is who Russell Wilson is. We kind of, we had to get to know him as a fan base and had seen him in college beforehand. Uh, but even going back after and watching, like, I'm going to throw the Rose Bowl in there, um, <clears throat> playing in the Rose Bowl against Oregon in that game that they eventually lost, watching it after Russ was on the Seahawks and cheering on Russell Wilson on this drive <laughs> that I know they're not going to score on and seeing him play college. It's just like, that's our dude right there. Before we knew anything about him, before we could, you know, feel that ownership as a fan base of him, having that moment and going back and you sort of like revisionist history, imagine yourself cheering for him in that moment, especially playing against Oregon and, and then being like, Russell Wilson was then who he is now. You know, he got better over time, but like he didn't, it didn't change. That's a player who in that game they thought was a third round draft pick. And it, it was, it's a really fun game to watch looking back on it, knowing where Russ would go. Yeah, and where you would go, apparently, with tweeting out Badgers and Russell Wilson facts. Is that actually you, Kristen, after all these years? <laughs> uh, one of my favorite Russell Wilson quotes is, oh, I believe Badger. I believe this might have been John Lynch back when he was still in the booth. It might not have been. Uh, Russell Wilson's been 5'11 his entire life, so he's, he's used to it. 
lot of questions about his birth. Uh, my list, amazingly, I have a 2012 game we still haven't mentioned. I think we each did separate 2012 games because I went with the New England game. That oh, was yeah. kind of the first time he actually really had to play well for the Seahawks to win a game. 293 yards, three touchdowns, outdoors. Was that Brady. Braylon Edwards who caught that? There was, I think there was a touchdown to Braylon Edwards in that game. That sounds right. Yes, there was. He he caught the uh, score to get the Seahawks within 23-17. And then Sidney Rice had the 46-yarder to win it. So <sighs> 2012 was a long time ago, as it turns out. Uh, we haven't talked about this one. The, the 2015 NFC Championship game against the Packers, that comeback. Because one of my favorite Russell Wilson modes is, you know, he wasn't necessarily the greatest at comebacks in quarterback in the NFL. Uh, when he started scrambling all the time because of the fact that there was like nothing to lose. And, you know, that, that felt like was the cheat code. You mentioned the read option, but Russ just scrambling and throwing the ball over the place and not having to run the ball because we were behind so much was also a cheat code. That two-point conversion. The two-point conversion, the winning touchdown to Jermaine That's the Curse. one that I mentioned was the, that winning touchdown. Oh, did you? Yeah, that's the one that I was talking about. Okay. Uh, I also had the 2015 game at Minnesota. Uh, I Was there a big play to Baldwin in that one, or am I thinking of the playoff game where he didn't it, actually play that? Yeah, it game? was. there was like a 60-yard Russell Wilson scramble touchdown that got called yep. back by a holding. Yep. And then the uh-huh. very next play was a <laughs> touchdown to Baldwin. Uh, so good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I also had Seahawks-Texans in 2017 along those same lines. Seahawks getting behind, not running the ball, successfully running play action. I'm not learning anything from this combination of events. But I mean, that was such a monster performance. That and the Pittsburgh game, I think, are the two best individual Russell Wilson performances of his career, in my opinion. And then I had the CX Falcons open air from last year. That was one of my five. Well, I feel like we definitely missed some in there. So if people have any others that they want to share. There, in their there's a, a couple more I thought of as we went along. So one, so we were talking about Sunday Night Football. There was in 2018 against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, um, a a great duel that um, Wilson ended up winning. Um, That's one that sticks out. And then another one, also a primetime game, is that um, that 2013 game against the Saints on Monday Night Football, where I think the Seahawks were like 11 and one and the Saints 10 and two. And there are all these questions about whether the Seahawks are really the best team in the NFC. And they, they just destroyed them in that game and who the, Wilson who the had a great their head coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The same day right that it, coach it, was the same day. <laughs> it was the same day that third Pelton brother chris smith advocated for jim elmora <laughs> what i was thinking was the niners game that was at the beginning of that year so it yeah, got that was the storm the storm game yeah. yeah that that is an iconic moment the storm game when like all of seattle that that was that was that was amazing and again, anything against the Niners from that era felt so special because it was such a like Titanic clash. Yeah, like... We didn't even say Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> eating at eating at midfield with Sherm. That is so true. Just, oh, just ending the Jim Harbaugh era. I mean, that wasn't a great Russ game necessarily. It was more the defense in that one. But he was but the memes. The memes <laughs> live on forever. Yeah. I mean, forever. that's that's the thing is like when we look back on our favorite Seahawks games, like the greatest Seahawks performances, Russell Wilson is going to figure in so many of them. Well, if there are any that we missed, please let us know. I, there obviously are. There were just a lot of wins during that time period and, <laughs> and a lot of fun games, but we did, we definitely covered a lot. I just, I honestly, I can't even fathom making this decision. Like Zach was like, <laughs> and I feel like I should preface all of this with being like, 
there's so much more important stuff going on in the world and all things considered having the privilege to care about a fucking quarterback of a stupid football team is like such an incredible place that we're in. Right. And, and that is just like, I don't ultimately like I care about this, but it's whatever a couple, a handful of Sundays in the fall, you know what I mean? Like it's more like this is a a fun distraction than it's the thing that actually should matter in your life. And so understanding that that's the case. And also, I don't understand how, as a front office, they could have fucking got here. Like, how they could have said to themselves, like, the first second that Pete or John or whomever was just like, I think we should take this deal. That somebody said that, John said it, and Pete was like, you know what? I think you're right. Right? Or one way or the other. And it just, I feel like it just fed into each other. And then all of a sudden, Russell Wilson is a Bronco. You know, something that was unthinkable. It creeped into their minds. And they were like, we think we can win football games without Russell Wilson. And I personally think it is going to be a very difficult thing for them to do with this roster, with this understanding of how football works. We've seen who's hired as head coaches this offseason. We've seen who's hired as head coaches the last three, four offseasons. They all look pretty similar as far as their focus, at least the successful ones. And that the Seahawks are trying to zag so hard with what they're doing in the sport of football. And I, I will be very surprised if that is a winning formula that they have. But ultimately, I think what we're looking at is an extended period. It'll, it'll be a slow fade into mediocrity, into a full-on rebuild, unless the full-on rebuild happens now. I wouldn't be shocked if they just tore it all down. I'd be surprised considering Pete Carroll's age, but I'm curious if we did to do an over-under on when the Seahawks return to the playoffs. So they're in a one-year drought right now. If if we put that that at five and a half seasons, Ben, Zach, Kevin, are you over or under for the Seahawks returning the under. Like sooner? Yeah, I'd go sooner. Yeah, I, I think so too. That's a long time and there's variance and maybe they'll fall into a quarterback somehow at some time. Yeah, it's just kind of hard to be bad in football that long. Also, the fact that they fucking traded Russell Wilson before they got a last place schedule. What the hell? Like, was he not going to have value next year? I don't buy this argument. Sorry, do you not want a high pick next year? I'm sorry. I'm, we actually have a pick next year, which is exciting. Well, that that is true. But I think the, the recipe is it's going to be like an eight and nine, nine and eight season with some veteran going nowhere quarterback. And it's really actually so going bad. to accomplish nothing. God. Ah! You're so right, though. Everything that we talked about that we talked about at the end of the season is still true. And they gave it away. Do it next year. Give it one more chance. If it didn't work, make the trade next year. Russell Wilson will have this exact same value next season that he has this season. It's not going away. I mean, I think there was a little more risk than you said, because if he had another poor season or if he had another injury next year, I think his value could diminish significantly. But I don't think that risk outweighs the possible upside of, you know, actually winning football games next year. Think about the players who get traded for first round picks. Matthew Stafford got traded for multiple first round picks. Carson Wentz gets traded for first round picks. Like, it's not that hard to get a first round pick for a quarterback. What if the Seahawks brought in Carson Wentz? Oh, God. There's there's so many quarterbacks where we would have that reaction, like uh, like Jimmy Garoppolo. Would we be happy about that? Uh, Carson Wentz, Baker Baker Mayfield, if the Browns decided they weren't sold on him, Sam Darnold. Like there's all these names that I, I think would not win a lot of football games with the Seahawks given their roster, but there's not a lot of options out there. 
I would rationalize Garoppolo so hard right now. <laughs> uh, I think that best sums up the state of where we are at this point. But the last, the last play schedule that they did it, they had it set up. They have the nine, they have the the nine home games next year. They have the last place schedule. You have obvious regression from the rest of the NFC West, and they fucking traded Russell Wilson right when they had it set up to put them into a position to go seven and ten, eight and nine, or whatever, and not even have a good draft pick. It's just like this is it's not only is it a bad trade, it's bad timing. Also, we didn't talk about that earlier. Ugh. It's, it's so fascinating to hear you say that because I'm more frustrated about like the sins of the past still. Like I have not like even looked forward. I'm still like, man, if they had just Will Tuukwafu had not fumbled against the Rams in 2015 and they had gotten the, like the bye, then everything would be different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not expecting different. not expecting Will Tuukwafu to come up with the bye. That is Seahawks assistant coach Will Tuukwafu, yeah. right? Yeah. If Earl Thomas hadn't, if Earl Thomas hadn't broken his leg on Cam Chancellor in 2016, <laughs> this is all like the domino meme, starting with the Rams drafting Aaron Donald, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I do wonder how much, how much of Russell Wilson's life and attitude about the Seahawks and offensive line would be different if, if he didn't have those two Rams games and Aaron Donald every year. Hell, what if we were in the AFC West still? Let's go all the way back there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is the past. <laughs> Never agreed to have lift. Wow. I, I mean, I would I would go to great lengths to not play against Aaron Donald two times a year. So I get it. I understand that. But they the Broncos do play the Rams this next year. Is that right? I mean, if they're playing the Seahawks, presumably they're playing the Rams as well. That's that's I don't how know it works. if we were one of the extra games or not. I okay. Don't believe so. Well, at least we'll have the memories. And also the memories of all the mistakes of the past. Uh, <laughs> we'll have both in tandem at the same time. Zach, you've got baby duty. Thank you so much for joining us. Ben, as always, thank you so much for jumping on emergency podcast number two of the day, a first. <laughs> Hopefully a last. <laughs> I don't know if we'll have much more need for emergency podcasts, right? Considering the... <laughs> The Sam Darnold trade emergency podcast. I think uh, if we think back to the, all the all the games we just called out from the last several years, many of them were emergency pod uh, casts. I'm not sure how many of those like uh, 41 point Houston wins we're going to see. So anyway, thanks for having me on. It's very fun to reminisce about a very fun ten years. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. <laughs>